0: today we continue with our uh, three-week sermon series. This is week two, and we are calling it Wilderness. As we uh, navigate life's most difficult transitions, if uh, you were paying attention at all last year, you recognized that it was a little bit of a transition year, that we went from what was normal to whatever we're in now, which I will argue in a little bit is what we call wilderness. What we learned is uh, life is full of transitions. We just had them all compressed Into one year. And what we did last week is we started talking about how we navigate this and how scripture gives us wisdom on how to make our way through life and through wilderness. I brought out William Bridges' transition model, and so uh, it's there for you to see today. Last week we talked about the end, which was ironically the beginning, but for any beginning there has to be an end. And then we're this week walking through that thick slice in the middle called wilderness on our way to the new beginning. And this is every transition in life. To take a new job, there has to be the end of the old job. And then as you're learning proficiency in the new job, that's wilderness until you kind of figure it out and then you go, oh, I get it, new beginning. One of our staff members, Robert McMahon, his wife, Jenny, who uh, is on campus with Crew, she had uh, a baby this week. They welcomed their first child into the world. It's very exciting. They have a precious little boy. And they have experienced the end of being two relatively free young adults. They're now in the wilderness of, holy cow, we're parents and what do we do next? And soon they're going to hit this point where they feel a sense of proficiency and they'll be walking in their new beginning, this new season where we are parents and we are capable. And as soon as they get there, as anybody who's a little bit older than them will tell them, there will be another ending and another wilderness and another new beginning because life is a series of transitions. And so uh, we're going to root in the Exodus story and let me tell it to you briefly if in case it's unfamiliar to you, basically God's people are uh, released, they leave Egypt, they leave slavery, and then they wander through the wilderness uh, for years and years and years, and eventually they will reach the promised land. And that's sort of the story of Exodus told in uh, brief. When we think of these kind of transitions, slavery to freedom in the promised land, it's important to think through what are the major life transitions we've been through? What are the things that we can remember, can deal with, can see in others? And I think maybe the easiest one in a college town is to say, college is this great wilderness experience it's the end as you start college it really is the formal end of your childhood that you're no longer living under your parents roof or you're no longer dealing with the things you dealt with as a child and you're kind of moving into this more adult life but but college is the wilderness of the in between it's it's i'm not a child anymore but i'm not yet a fully functioning independent human adult i kind of do this other thing in the middle it's great and it's complicated College is this complicated wilderness that people uh, make their way through over uh, a long season. And it's also the season of life where, as, as people, we have this incredible breadth of opportunity and temptation. College is a time where you get to begin to make your own way, and in doing so, there are all these opportunities for uh, great things, for successful things, for advancing things, for kingdom things, and there are also every opportunity to engage in temptation, Wilderness is both where we do the most growing and where we have the greatest potential of giving up on the journey we're supposed to be on. College kind of sounds like that. We're beyond the old reality and we're not yet in the new reality. It's a complicated space of unknowns. Every transition is this. We, we grieve the loss of what was before we can begin the process of what will be. And in the middle, we have wilderness. So we're going to pick up with the Israelites. They're 45 days into their wilderness, They've been camping by some springs, and they set out towards the promised land, their new beginning. And we're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 16. Scripture says this, on the 15th day of the second month, after they had left Egypt, the whole company of Israel moved on from Elam to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. The whole company of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron there in the wilderness. The Israelites said, why didn't God let us die in comfort in Egypt where we had lamb stew and all the bread we could eat? You've brought us out into this wilderness to starve us to death, the whole company of Israel. They begin to grumble. This grumbling will become a theme as they make their way towards the promised land. Israel, in a sense, for this long season was the land of great grumbling. In December of 2019, I had the privilege to go to this land of grumbling. I was invited onto a trip to go see Israel and experience Israel as part of a group of uh, quote, millennial influencers. I laughed because these were all pretty fancy people with pretty fancy titles who had done a lot of things in their life. The trip before us that this group had led had Lecrae and other uh, rappers on it, and the trip that was parallel to ours by the same organization was members of the Atlanta Braves baseball team. I just tried not to tell them that I didn't have an Instagram because they didn't know that. So they were like millennial influencers, and I was like, don't claim millennial. Don't have an Instagram. You may not want to pay for my trip. But they did. Super excited. It was an incredible trip. We got VIP treatment, behind the scenes everything. Everything was sort of fantastic and sort of overwhelming. Uh, The last day of our trip, I sat down with another pastor. He was one of the board members of the organization that paid for all of this. And I said, what's the agenda? What are you after? What do you want to do? And he kind of walked me all through it. And he goes, look, this is a $12,000 trip. And so somebody somewhere thought you needed to see this enough that they paid $12,000. And so I was like, oh my gosh. And, and it sort of just set in. I, I knew I'd experienced something kind of overwhelming. I mean, not only the, the things we saw and the places that Jesus walked and all that sort of overwhelming in its own right, but then every meal just sort of kept coming and, and the wine was great. And the hotels were, I've never stayed in places like this. I just thought this is, this is where the Atlanta Braves stay. I don't know. And so it was overwhelming. And I, I felt this great sense of gratitude that last day as we're leaving and we're back at the airport. On, uh, we leave our beachside carlton six hundred dollar a night mahogany everything hotel on the mediterranean sea and go back to the airport right so you're just going how how grateful do i feel right now we get to the airport and we have a free maybe i mentioned that a free 12-hour flight back with multiple meals entertainment system all the things and i look around at my fellow millennial influencer friends that i've just made and since i'm in the land of israel they are all grumbling and I said, what, what's going on? Like, what's the, I thought maybe something went wrong. Maybe somebody's not on the flight. What happened? What went wrong? And they go, no, it's just, it's stupid. And I was like, yeah, it's stupid. What's stupid? And they said, it's stupid that we have to 12 hours in coach. And I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I'd ride in the baggage at this point if they would, you know, just like get me home. I don't care. And they said, no, that's stupid. The, the, there's not enough leg room and there's always somebody next to you and the screen is too small and my seat only reclines like four degrees. That's not even real. And I was like, well, it's the ticket that the people bought us. Like, what else are you going to do? And one guy was like, I know what I'm going to do. And they had obviously done this more than I have done this because I was just like, you just take what you get, right? And he goes up to the counter and he's like, do you have any more business class seats available? I'd like to upgrade. And they're like, sure, it's 800 bucks." And he went, cool. And he just upgraded. And I'm sitting there like, whoa, well, that's a doofus move. I'm going to end up in the same place for $800 less dollars. This is great. Um, And then one by one, half of our 30 people that were on this trip with me that got invited to this thing, half of them, half of them, grumbled their way to $800 in upgrades to take the same 12-hour flight and get the same fitful sleep and the same bad food, but their seats reclined this much in mine. And it was just like this moment where I was like, what, why do we do this? And then it hit me, it was because we're in the land of Israel, the airport is wilderness. I don't know if you know this, the airport is the ultimate travel wilderness. You're not where you want to be. And you're no longer where you were. So whether you're going or coming, the airport is always the place where we grumble. Have you ever not grumbled your way through an airport? (laughs) You grumble through security and you grumble at the food options and you grumble at the seat assignments and you grumble at, and everything's grumbling. Why? Because it's the wilderness. Because when you're taking a vacation and you are not yet there, but you're still not at home, you grumble your way to vacation. Then you're home, you're like, oh, I get to go home. And so you get to go home and you're ready to be home, but now you have to make your way back through the airport. And it's just where we grumble. And maybe it should be expected. But that's what we do. We were sitting in a place where the nation of Israel had to go one country over and it took them 40 years. We were going to be flying over an ocean at 500 miles per hour and we grumbled because this is what we as humans do in wilderness is we grumble. The first temptation of wilderness is discontentment. The first temptation of wilderness is discontentment. Where we travel in wilderness, in the land between one and another, between what was and what will be, wherever we find that, we grumble. The Israelites had been freed from slavery, had walked across the Red Sea, which had been pushed back at its side, so they walked through on dry ground. Their captors were evaded as the sea crashed in on them, and they're now lacking trust about a month later for the next leg of the trip. And so they grumbled. And so God provided food because they grumbled about food. And so God provided food, manna from heaven. You've probably heard that. What does manna mean? It means what is it exactly. And so manna came down and they went, wow, this is great. And then they began to grumble about water. And as you read the Exodus narrative, you say, oh, they're grumbling about water. So what does God do? He miraculously provides water. And then they grumble about the type of food. We're kind of getting tired of this manna. Is Is there anything else? And God provides another type of food. And it's just over and over and over, grumbling, provision, grumbling, provision, grumbling, provision. How many of us caught ourselves grumbling our way through 2020, through the wilderness of 2020, the normal is gone and the new normal has not yet come and I'm just going to grumble my way through it. As we go through the Exodus narrative, we see the same kind of wilderness grumbling happening. And I'm going to zoom through the story a bit to get us where we need to go. But what you need to understand, we started in chapter 16. In chapter 18, Moses is going to establish a Supreme Court because they're grumbling about different things. And so he kind of gets these people that will be judges to help them sort out all their grumblings. Chapter 19, God brings the people to Sinai. And Moses kind of tells the people of Israel he's going to be away for a minute. He needs to just go, oh, I don't know, directly hear from the Creator God. I'll just be a minute, guys. And so in chapter 20, he is given the Ten Commandments, and then chapter after chapter of guidelines for living, God is saying, here's how you will make your new society. And so Moses is off, you know, directly communicating with the God of the universe how to make a tabernacle, all these things. And we pick up the story in chapter 32. It says, when the people realized that Moses was taking forever and coming down off the mountain... Like like their sister was taking too long in the shower or something. They rallied around Aaron and said, do something. Make gods for us who will lead us. That Moses, the man who got us out of Egypt, who knows what's happened to him? So Aaron told them, take off the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And they all did it. They removed the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from their hands and he cast it in the form of a calf. Shaping it with an engraving tool. The people responded with enthusiasm. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from Egypt. Aaron, genius level Aaron, taking in the situation, built an altar before the calf. And then Aaron announced, tomorrow is a feast day to God, the calf. Early the next morning, the people got up and offered whole burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink, and then begin to party, and it turned into a wild party. It's like Tuesday, and Moses goes, hey, I'm going to go talk to the creator of the universe just for a minute. He's got some things, the tablets, it's going to be a whole thing. I'll be right back. Just, just hang in here. And he comes back, you know, like Wednesday morning, and they're having a drunken party to a golden calf because he's been gone too long. And this is what happens in wilderness, is we grumble our way into discontentment. And then the problem with discontentment is discontentment always leads to something else. The second temptation of wilderness is idolatry. This is common among us. You look back at 2020 and the the COVID experience of us all, and we've all tried to uh, find these little other places to worship because we desire control and we desire to know what's next. And so we abandon the waiting for the promised land of the vaccine, or we abandon the waiting for the new normal or whatever's coming. And we begin to worship other things. We worshiped knowledge. I will read every article that comes out. I will learn everything about what it means to be an epidemiologist. I will watch YouTube videos from all the people that already agree with what I'm already thinking. And I will consume and consume and consume and I will worship knowledge. We worship distraction. People started making a lot of bread. When that got old, some of you finished Netflix. You just finished it, it's done. You can unsubscribe. You watched everything, you did it. We worshiped comfort pizza night is every night. Why, why not? Comfort. Bring me more comfort. Comfort food for all. I don't know about you. I don't know how many of you, I don't want to make you raise your hands. Don't, don't answer this. But I will admit that more than once, I put on a nice shirt such as this over my sweatpants for a Zoom call just so I could look presentable. And as soon as it was over, put my sweatshirt right back on. Right? We worship comfort. Oh, well, I'm not even taking these sweatpants off. It's a miracle any of us ever took sweatpants off. Look around. You can clap for yourself. This is great. No, we worshiped work. We overworked. We changed work. We, we found ourselves in new ways of working. We worship politics. Which candidate can save us from our national nightmare? Let's put all of our eggs in that basket. We built idols of lesser things. And none of those things are pure evil. Sweatpants are great. Pizza is good. Politics has its place. But when anything other than God becomes central, we have idolatry. When anything other than God takes the place of God, we have essentially built a golden calf that we're choosing to worship over the trust of the eternal creator God. What is true is that our inclination is to create golden calves in the wilderness of life. When we get tired of waiting, we move from grumbling to worship of other things. And whether we know it or not, what we find ourselves asking is, what can I worship while I wait for God's next step for me? So the third temptation of wilderness is division. Division is a direct consequence of God's people worshiping idols. Over and over, Moses is having to shout, At the people of Israel over and over, they're turning against each other. There's quarrels starting up. It's why he starts a Supreme Court, because all there is is division. God's anger is rising and falling. Accusations are made. Leaders are questioned over and over. You see this lack of unity. You see, in our discontentment, we make idols. And in our idols, we lose the unity of being God's people. What ultimately unites us is that we are followers of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to live and die a sinless life on our behalf to be the perfect sacrifice who then rose on the third day so that you and I might know true life beyond the grave. That's what unites us. When anything else takes that place for us, we're in trouble. Disunity comes when your political candidate is 1% too radical to the left or 1% too radical to the right, and that's not my candidate and then we grumble when your decisions about master, or no Master, or your decisions about, you know, whether we should be all hand sanitizing or do I spray you with Lysol when you come in the church? I don't know. There was division in church all over the place. I have enough friends at enough churches all over the country and I kept hearing from them, hey, are you doing, they kept asking, are you getting this too? And they would tell me about the ugly emails they got because they were, Forcing masks on people, or they weren't forcing masks on people. And then the, another guy would email me and he'd say, well, well, I'm getting this phone call from this influential member, and he's mad because we're not talking about politics. But then I got another call from somebody who says, We have to talk about politics, and then we got to stop talking about politics. And he goes, I-, I don't know what to do. Everybody has their own. And I, what I ended up realizing is everybody has put something above Jesus. And if we put anything above Jesus, whatever it is, in whatever season, we get disunity. So, churches all over the world had people grumbling and leaving and fussing. They left this church because they mandated masks. Well, I left this church because they didn't. I would have left the church if they didn't talk about Jesus. That's about it. When we build idols of comfort or preference or politics, we lose unity. The wilderness brings temptation, it always brings temptation to find ourselves with other gods. Luke chapter 4, I won't read it to you, but we can recount the story. Jesus is ushered into the wilderness by the devil. We usually look at this story as kind of this, oh, Jesus is perfect. He didn't succumb. I want you to see it in light of what we're reading in Exodus. See the Exodus story that we've been reading of the people of Israel taken into the wilderness and tempted. And now look at the story in Luke 4 of Jesus being taken into the wilderness and tempted, and see that they are the same story. Jesus is tempted with physical needs, People of Israel grumbled for manna. The devil said, aren't you hungry? Turn the stone into bread. And Jesus said, nope. It is written. Jesus had given an invitation to grumble and find discontentment. He refused. He's tempted with vanity. You want to be worshipped? He said, nope. But that was his invitation into idolatry, to become the very calf in the wilderness. He's tempted through division. The devil says, jump from the temple and the angels will catch you. But to jump from the temple would be to tear at the unity of the fabric of God, the plan of God that was already in place. That's not part of it. Jesus said, nope, it is written. Everywhere the people of Israel failed on the path to the promised land, Jesus was similarly tempted. The people of Israel grumbled their way and failed their way through the wilderness, and Jesus, the redeemer of the people of Israel, encountered the same wilderness and overcame it. Rose above it, conquered it. And so, as he takes on his messiahship and he begins to lead God's people, and those who learn to follow, they would, if they read it today, as the, a Jewish person reads this today, they don't see Jesus in the wilderness. They see Jesus in the wilderness doing what God's people, the Jewish people in the wilderness, couldn't do. They see a redemption of a time in the wilderness. How did he do it? Jesus rooted himself in truth. Jesus rooted in the scripture. He rooted in truth. He stayed rooted in his present place. In our modern world, we call this mindfulness. Jesus didn't go for the false constructions or the hypothetical ideas. Jesus stayed rooted in the present. Here's what I'm here for. Here's what I'm to do. What's real today? As you navigate the anxiety of a season of wilderness, the question is, are you rooted and mindful of what's real today? He stayed rooted in his role and what was in his control. In the modern world, we would call this engagement with your thoughts. What do you actually control in any given day? That's a tough one to answer because the answer is not much. Are you staying within that? Are you engaging with all of these thoughts of the things I cannot control? Be it elections or vaccines or anything else. When will the schools open? What control do you have? Well, I guess none. None. Good. He stayed rooted in unity. When we want to be rooted in unity, the question we would ask is how do I create connectedness and hope in the people around me? See, in the wilderness of the 2020 church, and I'm proud to say, humbled to say really, that that was not this church. My experience with Covenant Church was not one of great division. It was not one of overwhelming grumbling it's been a people who are patient and humble and hopeful and waiting and forever grateful because i've heard all the horror stories but the questions kept coming when do we close why do we reopen what about masks what do we do about singing do we do communion what about coffee can i do a handshake are we allowed to hug do you do counseling what do you mean it's on zoom and the question kept coming when can we go back to normal The elders here at Covenant Church deserve uh, the pat on the back for this. This is a group of seven men who've been called by this body to lead this body, to serve this body, to support us in our mission to know Jesus and make make him known. And the elders of this church who come from different places, who have different perspectives, who have different political leanings, who have different interpretations of this verse or that scripture, who have every opportunity to be disunified in anything got together in the middle of the pandemic and said, what we're going to do above all things is prioritize unity. So we don't do anything until we're unified on it. We're going to look for opportunities instead of focusing on oppression, and we're going to prioritize unity above all things. And to their credit, the elders of Covenant Church held that line. Sometimes we would have to talk each other off of other ledges and lines. And we would meet here every other week. Once we got off Zoom, we started meeting up on the stage. We'd clear the stage. And about eight feet between every chair, we would sit. And we'd say, what does unity look like this week? What do we do this week? What does that mean for next week? How do we stay unified in the face of a world dead set on division? In the wilderness of the year, how do we maintain scriptural rootedness and community unity? So we refused to grumble and just made one plan after another. Our staff deserves a ton of credit around here. You deserve a ton of credit. Community group leaders deserve credit. The people who lead serving groups deserve a ton of credit. Everybody who's making up this body of Christ deserves the credit for taking a year where disunity was invited into your world and choosing instead not to grumble, but just to make a new plan. We probably, I'm not exaggerating, had 15 plans of what we would do on the day that we reopened the church. We were never closed. The day that we reopened the building, we had 15 different plans that got scrapped before we ever got to install them because everything kept changing. And so every week I felt for our staff, we'd go to a staff meeting and I'd say, what changed and what do we do about it? Robert would say, well, I got like 10,000 gloves now, but apparently we're not supposed to have gloves anymore. Okay, we'll figure out how to do, you know, make balloon animals or something, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But over and over we changed and we changed and we changed because how do you make it through the wilderness towards the promised land? One foot in front of the other. The way that you make it through the wilderness you're in right now, the way that we make it as a community through the wilderness that is being put in front of us, the way that we make it is not by looking back and grumbling and wanting what was used to be. The way you make it through wilderness is you put one foot in front of the other and you just keep walking. We refuse to worship the false gods of politics or progressive perception or protocol, Man, mean, we love the churches in our area. We love our partners. We love my friends all over the country that are leading churches. But I was pretty bummed out when I started seeing July, August, September, October, when I started seeing them in their sermon series that they're unveiling, dealing with critical race theory or political posturing or some specious prophecy that may or may not be real. And people were just diving into all of the tempting divisions that were out there. We were really intentional as a church. We started slowly walking with Jesus. In July, we started this series called The Way. And we said, we're going to walk with Jesus really slowly. And he's going to go through hostile territory because guess what? We're in hostile territory. And we're going to see what it looks like to walk as Christians through that territory. And that's all we're going to do. And we're going to walk until he gets to Jerusalem. And that was in July. Two weeks from now, I'm going to pick it right back up, and we're going to still be walking with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. It took him three to five days. It's going to take us about a year. Why? Because what unites us is Jesus. What draws us is Jesus. What what brings us into community is Jesus. Where we find guidance is through Jesus. Where we find hope is in Jesus. Where we find unity is in Jesus. Jesus is king. He will guide us. He will challenge us. He will uplift us. He will provide hope. So we point back to Jesus. And this is going to feel like a little bit of Sunday school answer, but where you have wilderness, Jesus is the way out. It's always true. Where you are in wilderness, the way through wilderness is Jesus. And so the question is, where are you discontented with God's path for you right now? Where are you grumbling about provision or God's plan for your life? Where are you trying to speed God up, hurry up for the next thing? Or where are you trying to slow God down, going, I'm not comfortable with the pace of change? Where are you spending time looking back and longing for normal? Are you so over your current wilderness that you've created false idols within it? Feeling out of control, where have you created little pockets where you do control things? Money or busyness, distractions, work, lust, whatever. Where are you diving into some place where at least I control this? What golden calf have you created Finally, are you more unified with the body of Christ and the believers around you, or are you more divided? Ask in another way, are you chasing your idols at the cost of community? Or are you putting your energy behind creating deep unity of purpose? If you find you wake up feeling a little bit further off from other Christians every morning because they believe this and I can't believe he said that and do you see that she posted this and I don't understand why, how anybody who believes what I believe could believe that. If you find that is your driving emotion when you consider the body of Christ, I would encourage you to take a step away from the screen. Jesus unifies us. And there's a thousand flavors of people that are following Jesus, and all of us have some things wrong. But if we are to be unified, it is to take all of those idols off the board and remind us what is the thing that ultimately brings peace. Who is the person that ultimately redeemed this place? See, the Exodus story is our story. Freed from sin and death, we have been dropped into the land in between. We just call it life. Life. Friends, you are already, as followers of Jesus, you are already citizens of heaven. The problem is that we're not yet heavenly citizens. As a follower of Jesus, you've already been invited to be a citizen of heaven, and yet we don't reside in heaven yet. We are in the land between. We have left the slavery of sin, and we are in the wilderness in between there and our promised future, our eternal promised land. And so every single day of your life, you zoom out, and the whole thing is wilderness. And man, that doesn't seem so encouraging, but it's real. And the question is, what will you do with the wilderness God has given you? We've said before the old cliche about you have your birthday and your death day and the hyphen in between, and you got to live out the hyphen. That's all that really matters. That's all you get. I would say the same is true about the wilderness. And You have what you used to be and who God has called you to be, and in between there is this wilderness that we call life, and your decision every day is to wake up and pursue what God has put in front of you. Just take one foot in front of the other. And we can spend our lives grumbling, looking over our shoulders. We can spend our lives sniping at other believers. We can spend our lives thinking that it's politics or other persuasions or some other idea is going to get us salvation. And any time we do it, we've taken our eyes off the prides of the promised land. That Jesus, once for all and forever, redeemed us. And nothing less will satisfy us. What we do with this life and this land between is what we will be remembered for. What we do in the wilderness defines who we are and more importantly, whose we are. One thing I told our staff in 2020 is we are not going back to normal. So stop talking about it. We're not going back to normal. Because guess what? Today is your new normal. They go, well, when's the new normal? I say, it's today. And tomorrow's another new normal and the day after that's another new normal. We get to live in the day we are given. That's all we get. And all of the efforts we have to control what tomorrow is gonna look like our wasted time. And so we live in the day we're given and we do what God has called us to do that day. And then when the page turns and we have a new day, we do it all over again. So we're not going back to normal. We're going forward to better. In every wilderness, there is an invitation to look back at what was or to look forward at the promised land awaiting us. And as I've said, everybody is in a battle. Everybody is fighting in something right now. For some of us, it's just this season. For other of us, there's really specific things that we are grinding through and it is our wilderness. And we each have the opportunity to look back over what was and lament what has been lost. And there is always time to grieve. But once that is done, it is upon us to look forward at to what God is inviting us into. And even though the wilderness is hard at times, we take one foot in front of the other, we stay rooted in what is true and we unify around Jesus and nothing less. Amen. You pray with me. Father, you are good. And we believe that. Lord, truth can be difficult in this world, can be a challenge. Wilderness. As we experience it, Father, I'd be the first to admit that temptations come fast and furious. I don't think any of us have a perfect record. But Father, through you, we have hope. My prayer is that you would remind us of that, that that through you, we have hope. That Jesus' record in the wilderness is what we can look to. That the way we make our way through life, big challenges and small, through the public battles and the private ones, is through him. So Lord, I would pray that we would be still attuned to that whisper, that small voice reminding us who you are and reminding us what you have called us to. Lord, I pray that as a people, as a community, that we would not waste the wilderness you've given us. Lord, we would see you in it, we would chase you in it, we would pursue you in it, and by the way we respond to the wilderness around us, that our friends and our neighbors and our relatives who are not quite sure about you, Father, they would see something radically different in the unity of your people, that as we love a world without agenda, Father, your agenda would come to fruition. Father, help us be your hands and feet that your will might be done here in the wilderness as it is in the promised land. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Wilderness is the hardest week of these three. There's no happy, clappy resolution. The only way out of wilderness is to take the next step, to be honest with ourselves and to unify around the Redeemer. So as you go this week, my prayer is that you would go with Jesus as your center and you would go with your eyes open to all of the many temptations out there that are just pulling at the edges of our unity, the fabric of the body of Christ. And I, my prayer is that you would have the endurance to make your way through. Go love somebody this week. Go show off grace and mercy in Jesus' name. We will see you next week. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.